Well, if you were to walk around in a bookstore, I think there's still some bookstores left, <laughs> and you went to the section that's probably called something like spirituality and self-help, I think those are kind of tied together often, you'd probably look around at that section and agree with what I think, which is that there are a lot of people in this world around us who are looking, searching for enlightenment, for lack of a better word, right? There are just bookshelves and bookshelves full of books that come out every year, how to know it all, understand it, get it, you know, how to be enlightened. And I think it cuts across both religious people and unreligious people all looking for some kind of enlightenment. And the practices that we might do to, in search of that, it might be kind of meditation or yoga. If you want meditation, you know there's an app for that. There's probably a thousand apps. You can spend your money to turn your phone into a, an egg timer, essentially. I should know because I've spent too much money on those. You can get into yoga. You can change your diet. There's lots of new diets that almost practice, you know, enlightenment if you eat the right things. There's all different ways you can go to try to search out this feeling or this place of enlightenment. And if you wanted to do so from a particularly Christian perspective, you wanted kind of a Christian enlightenment, there's a path toward that too. And your, your best bet, if you want that, is probably to learn from the monks. Because for the past 2,000 years almost, there have been monks and hermits and desert mothers and all these people who've been spending good portions of their day, maybe years of their life, in search of enlightenment. In fact, the monks have been doing this so much that they kind of came up with a system for it over a long period of time. I'll give you a little sample of their uh, system for this, and it, you have to use the, the official language of the church at the time was Latin, so it has these Latin words, and their system for enlightenment began with Lectio. In fact, maybe you've heard of Lectio Divina. It's kind of a particular way of praying and studying scripture, not for the purpose of knowledge, but really for the purpose of enlightenment. So Lectio meant reading, taking from scripture and, and reading it selecting what was helpful for you, and then just hearing it, reading it, studying it. That was Lectio. And then they had this part called Meditatio. It's like meditation, kind of chewing on the scripture, right? Because what does it mean for me? And so you would kind of turn it over in your head, and you might spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, well, how, does this, how does this apply to me, and what do I make of this, and all this stuff? And then they had uh, the next step, Oratio, praying. You kind of pray, okay, I've thought about this text, now I'm praying, how is it going to kind of be realized in me, in my life? How is this going to live out? So you're kind of climbing a ladder here towards the final step that the monks wrote about, contemplatio, contemplation, which for the monks was really like something where you get to a place where your thoughts are just God's thoughts. You're kind of, as you pray, God is praying with you, and you're in this kind of 
perfect peace where you're at rest in God. You kind of know what God wants. God is in you, and you reach this plane of existence, which you might as well call enlightenment. Sounds really nice. Unfortunately for me, <laughs> I have never reached that uh, plane, uh, and I don't really know anyone who has consistently reached that place where you're just at perfect peace and your thoughts are God's thoughts. I don't know. You can, if you've been there a lot and you want to make me feel bad, feel free to tell me after. <laughs> but in my experience, most of us, maybe none of us, get to that place where we're just perfectly enlightened and knowing God's heart and God knowing ours and just kind of living in that place. Now, I don't, I'm not alone in a, a little bit of skepticism about whether we can get there. Uh, and on my side is a man named Martin Luther, who wrote a bunch of stuff 500 years ago that kind of changed the course of the church in many ways. In fact, that's why this is called the Lutheran Church. And Martin Luther, you could say, was kind of a failed monk. He was a monk, but uh, he hit some of these <laughs> um, difficult things. And he also was skeptical about this attaining this level of perfect enlightenment while we're here on this earth. But you can read and learn a lot more about Martin Luther. We have a class right now called Table Talk, and it's just fascinating. But what Luther said was uh, the pursuit is important of trying to get after this enlightenment. And of course, he, uh, he liked the meditation, you know, uh, looking after God's word. And the oratio, the prayer, Martin Luther thought that was very important too. We pray for understanding. We pray that God would speak to us in the word. He changed the, the meditation part, the meditatio. He changed it a little bit because for him, it's not what we make of the word, but really what the word makes of us and what the word does to us. And so you also have this kind of ascending idea in uh, Luther's writing that you're meditating, you're, you're hoping for the word to do something to you, but you never get to that enlightenment level where everything is just perfect and clear. Instead, Luther says you are rewarded with the next level, which is tentatio, which is something like trials or tribulations, suffering. It's really... Uh, a difficult struggle. That's what Luther says. The next step, when you study the word, you enter in a period of suffering. You have things in your life that are difficult. None of us have, uh, none of us are perfect, right? And so we bring with us um, doubts and fears and things that we don't understand and things that have happened to us and questions that we have, and we kind of bring all of those things, and that's the tentatio. Now, Martin Luther was German, and so if you're thinking, I wonder if there's a great German word for that struggle, you're right, anfektum. Doesn't that kind of sound like that, like just struggle? But Luther says what happens, we enter into these struggles, and it turns us, it pushes us back again, back to the Word, where we can find God's promise again. God's saying, I love you. You are forgiven. And so we kind of keep doing this cycle where we remember that we are loved, we remember we are forgiven, but we run into troubles and we have to keep circling back to it. You might think that this tentatio, the struggle part, would be a distraction from getting to know God or enlightenment. 
But what Luther said is really, our struggles are our door into our relationship with God. That is where God meets us in our struggles, right there. And it seems to me as I listen to the scripture that we heard today that this is pretty compatible with the scripture. We heard this incredible story in the Old Testament of Jacob, patriarch of the faith, right? Father of the children of Israel, an incredibly important person who ends up wrestling with someone that we later find out is God, wrestling with God for a day and night and neither one winning, neither one losing, just wrestling, struggling with one another. And it cost him, right? Did you hear that part where Jacob is wounded? His hip is knocked out of its joint. He is in pain. He's in suffering from his encounter here, this struggle. And at the end of it, he asks for God's blessing. This sounds similar to this tentatio, right? This struggle, this wrestling with God. And then in the gospel lesson, Jesus, now this is, this is my theory, you can say it. Jesus is thinking, okay, I want to describe this wrestling, this tenacious praying. But Jacob, you know, the guy that wrestled God, he's already taken. So I think Jesus thought, who can I pick to describe the most tenacious powerful, persistent kind of faith there is, and so he chose a widow. Now, I know from my experience here at Good Shepherd, we have a bunch of persistent, tenacious, and strong widows here at this congregation. In fact, I think they may be the strongest people on the planet, and so Jesus chose a parable about a widow to teach us about persistence, in prayer. In this parable, there is a widow who needs justice done for her. She needs the right thing to be done, but the problem is the judge who has to grant it is this wicked guy. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about anyone except himself, and so you know he's not going to care about a widow. There's nothing left that he can steal from her, right? But Because the widow is so persistent in demanding justice and going to him again and again, demanding that the right thing is done, Jesus tells us the judge just does it just to get her off his case, right? The persistence of a widow is very powerful. Now, in both these stories, Jacob wrestling and the widow persisting and demanding justice, we get a different picture of this communion with God, or if you want to call it enlightenment, than we're used to. I mean, when I think of enlightenment, and I think of all the books in the self-help section at the bookstore, most of them, and certainly the way that I think about it, is like we're kind of getting rid of all the stuff that holds us back. We're letting go of it all, and we're cutting ties with all of our problems and stepping back and kind of solving things one by one, checking it off the list until we are finally free and enlightened. That's how I typically think about it. Kind of getting to a place of self-reliance, where all the things that bother us are kind of, we can just put them down and be free to be with God. But that's not really the pattern that we see in the scripture today. Jacob 
who is wrestling with God, who arguably is kind of tied equal with God, he might say at the end of this wrestling match, there, I did it. God couldn't beat me. I'm just as good as God. I must not need anything. But he doesn't do that. After wrestling with God, Jacob holds on and demands a blessing. It's not that Jacob is self-reliant. He's stubbornly reliant on God. He says, I need God's blessing. Same with the widow. She never becomes self-reliant. She knows that she has to ask and ask and ask because she knows who can grant her need for justice. Jesus tells us this because it is God who can grant us justice. This is a very different kind of role for us as we're thinking about what it means to reach enlightenment. It's not that we somehow cut ties with all of our doubts and our struggles and our pain and our mistakes. It's that we bring those things with us to God. And there, that is where God enters into our lives. It is in the struggling, the fighting sometimes for Jacob, that he meets God face to face. Now, probably most of us cannot spend our lives like monks, devoting 12 hours a day to prayer and meditation. That's probably not compatible with a lot of our lives. But all of us could use a little bit more slowing down praying, spending time with God's Word working on us. And it's not easy. In fact, if you just prayed the Lord's Prayer, when you get to that part, your will be done, your kingdom come. If you're really praying that, that's tough. Letting go of anything is tough. There is a struggle there. And if you've ever tried meditating, you might know feelings come up and you think, oh, why am I doing this? And uh, you don't reach this kind of peaceful place where you never have another bad thought again. But what Jesus is inviting us into is this relationship with God where we bring all that baggage. We bring our suffering, our mistakes, our struggles, and we bring it with us. And there, in those places where God's word meets our brokenness and our need for blessing, this is where we reach enlightenment. We bring our full, true selves to God's word, including our struggles and our pain. This is where we see God face to face. Amen.